0: you do this isn't what we talked about
1: he tried to run
0: we were gonna wait and take him out in the woods i couldn't wait
1: to episode 10 of I Think I Like This Movie, America's Least Necessary Film Criticism Podcast. This week, baseball writer Mike Gianella brings us the deceptively named In the Bedroom, a moody emotional family drama that answers the question, how would Uncle Rico have turned out if he grew up in New England? Starring Sissy Spacek, Tom Wilkinson, and Marissa Tomei, it's an Academy Award-nominated film that teaches us, once again, that nothing good ever happens when Tom Wilkinson comes over in the middle of the night to try to erase the past. Mike, as our guest, let me ask you... Are you going to park your car and grab some lobster
0: or what? <laughs> oh, my God. I, you reminded me of that uh, commercial with John Krasinski, and I don't remember who else it was for that, that self-parking car. I think it premiered during the playoffs and just got me so – I think you got everybody so incensed on social media, but that's the first thing you, you think of now. So I, I won't be doing that accent. So if, if your listeners want to hear that, I'm, I'm sorry, but no, not tonight.
1: <laughs> well, we were we got the – the sort of expansion uh, of the universe of the Tomei Northeastern American accents, uh, coming off of the much earlier than her her more authentic New Yorker, my cousin Vinny, <laughs> you know yeah. accent. This one's a little brutal.
0: Yeah, so so this this movie's weird because like for the most part, most of the characters just talk the way they talk and, you know, thankfully and I think Wilkinson and Spacek both, you know, accomplished actors just know not to, like, mess around with it and, and just, you know, get immersed in the characters. And you almost forget the movie's in New England. But, yeah, at the beginning of the movie, Tomei in particular is playing with it. And you're like, like, please don't keep doing that.
1: Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I have not seen this movie. Uh, I didn't introduce myself. I'm Noah Frank. Will, uh, Will Beck, my co-host, Did, had you seen this movie prior?
2: I didn't even know this movie existed. I am now very glad to know that it exists, but no, I had never heard of it before.
1: Well, Mike, you're, since you're the one who brought this, um, let me let me ask you both uh, why did you think that you liked this movie and and also uh, after you kind of get into that, what, what was your – do you remember like where you saw it, who you saw it with? What was sort of your experience with it the first time around?
0: Um, so I, I think to for the first question of why I like this movie – um it, it was just the the kind of movie i, I think it was during award season it was nominated as, as you mentioned for, for five academy awards um so i was inclined to see it like this was at a time in my life i, I saw it with my girlfriend who I'm, I'm now married to so obviously things worked out we've been dating for for close to a, a year at that point um we she loved movies i love movies so we were big on you know seeing you know the award winners at that point point. And so yeah, I, I wanted to see it. You know, I, I liked the cast, so it, it was just a winner for me. And then you know, as far as why I liked it, it, it was just one of those movies that like it, it's just really tight and and very like well done. And you, you kind of get immersed in it as as it's going along. Like there, there there aren't a lot of twists and turns. Like there's nothing in it that's like oh what a what a big surprise or I didn't see this coming. But it, it still works. Like it, it still works in the perspective of it's a character drama and the actors, you know, especially the, the two main actors pull it off.
1: I, I was a little surprised that Frank died 39 minutes in, because it seemed like it was sort of setting up as this love triangle that was going to slowly escalate and escalate. And then I was like, Oh no, he's dead. That's not what this movie is. Uh, I, I don't know. To me, to me that caught me off guard.
0: It it could be just because I had heard enough of the movie at the time and kind of knew what it was about and, and what the focus was that I wasn't as surprised. Like sometimes that happens. It's not like, it's not like it was spoiled. It's more the way it was, was marketed at the time.
1: Um, well, do you want to, we, we've talked a little bit around it, but do you, you want to try to give us the, uh, the bird's eye view, the 32nd, the one paragraph uh, re, redux recap for folks who haven't seen it, who might want to see it, who uh, don't understand what we're talking about yet.
0: Uh, 30 seconds i'll I'll try a minute because it's simple but it's still involved so um, there's a college age kid and his girlfriend who i i think is about 30 maybe a little bit older um, she has a couple kids of her own they're dating um, it's getting serious um, it, as you mentioned it takes place in new england parents are like about in their 50s um, so essentially it winds up happening there's a jealous boyfriend clearly he was abusive Things escalate. You know, as the relationship escalates. Um, he kills the the young man, the college age kid, and it, it's frustrating because they can't get to they. It, it, you know, he gets charged. It's going to be a manslaughter charge. Um, he's not going to. You know, he's not going to jail for murder. Um, so both both the parents of, of their late son are very sad and frustrated to begin with, but now they they feel angered because they feel like there's not really going to be justice for for their son.
2: Well, I think the, the the issue for them specifically is that there is, it's the manslaughter charge versus what the maximum could be versus what they believed would be an actual murder charge.
0: That's that's correct, and you know, there's a point in the movie where, you know, mm-hmm. and it it makes sense. Like Marissa Tomei's character, you find out in a courtroom scene that you know she initially told the police that she saw what happened. But clearly in the scene and then later on, it turns out she only heard the gunshot and came in.
2: Right. Played, so by, played by the wonderful Karen Allen.
0: Right. I was going to mention Karen Allen. Right. And, you know, it, it's the whole question of, you know, well, if she didn't see it, was there actually a struggle and the gun accidentally went off, you know, or, you know, did he do it willfully and, and maliciously? We as the viewers know, but, you know, the, in the courtroom, they really don't know.
1: Yeah. And, and of course, the, the, we sort of see that these prosecutors are kind of bumbling and incompetent and, and, you know, just sort of just sort of going through the motions. And so it becomes ultimately this movie about sort of vigilante justice. And, and yeah. you know, do you do you, does that actually provide you with uh, catharsis and relief and all that?
2: I do think it's like a wonderful anti-death wish
1: i well i i hate to bring this up two straight episodes because it is one of my like the movies that makes me the angriest but it it is right it's like it's also the opposite of of departed (laughs) and departed in terms of the way that it handles revenge like like because because it basically shows that like revenge leaves him feeling empty and and he doesn't he he still has that that irksome thing that last line where he talks about seeing the photo in the hallway and like maybe she looked happy like that the the ex-wife like photo them together and like he doesn't know what it means but he like whatever whatever he thought he was going to feel good about having done this like isn't there there's still this emptiness there um as opposed to just revenge for revenge's sake um and by the way i I was going to point out in real life assuming that this was filmed in 2000 uh it was a 2001 release the that couple he's 21 and she's 36 She's a full fifteen years older than him, which I I I didn't when I looked at them on screen. I didn't think that of that at all in the opening scene. I, like, it didn't really occur to me that she was that much older. And then, sort of as it played out, and they they started sort of giving you more information with the characters. I was like, wait a minute, she is significantly older than him i looked it up and and i mean 15 years going that way
0: especially in hollywood i mean that's that's a major are you talking in real life like their ages yeah okay because i I, I had questions about that too i get the i get the feeling that as a character she might have been a little bit younger What's, what's interesting is the story this is based on um she's younger in the story like in the story i think she she got married young and she's like in her mid to late 20s so it's interesting that they, they spread that out like even even more.
2: I think, it, I think it works like it's much more impactful almost in the film if they did do that uh, switcheroo in terms of her age, her being significantly older because it makes his uh, some of his naivete about the situation a lot like tougher, a lot more hard-hitting and she Knows better, but but she's, she also wants his love at the same time that she tells him to like, you no, you gotta go to school, like go to school. She's the one pushing him arguably harder than her, than his, uh, his parents are like, no, you can't take a year off. You gotta go to school.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the whole, you know, it's a movie about, about regret and about, uh, sort of that, that looking back like what what could we have done differently and the, the parents both blaming each other you know sort of secretly and and this long stretched out time between when their son dies and when they finally have it out at each other uh and sort of say what they've been thinking for months um and and yeah, I mean, neither of them really did enough, and they both know it, but they both know it's probably not their fault, but they can't get over the fact, like thinking that it is their fault. Like that, that's the whole sort of narrative tension that that drives really, really the, the whole movie. Um, is this, and, it, and it's, you don't see that, I feel like you see that story with like a, a young child, where like the, a death of a young child will drive parents apart, but like you don't really see it with like, a, like an adult child. Um, and so it's, in that sense, it is sort of a, and you're not unique, but but it's a different perspective on that, that human emotion, that trauma, that sort of attempt at, at resolving everything that comes with that.
2: Yeah, and there was something that happens later on. I, I can't remember. I guess it's with um, Willie's wife, where I can't I can't remember Willie's wife's name. But when they go to the, they they go to the cabin for a weekend because Willie thinks like, hey, you guys need to take your mind off things and
0: when it's it was, a, it's katie it's katie by the way katie
2: uh she says uh well we were never in danger of uh of dying out and that's because they have 11 fucking grandkids and she's talking to is basic and this basic is like well we had one
1: well we had one kid
0: yeah, yeah. like
2: yeah that yeah. was just that struck me as so brutal
0: yeah well, and they fight about that like as, as part of that brutal speaking of brutal as part of that fight they have at the end where throughout they're like walking on eggshells or not talking to each other, like during that fight, you know, that, that kinda comes up and you know, comes up in earlier of the idea that he was, you know, training he was in medical school, he's a doctor in the movie, you know, they, they decided to, you know, not have any more kids and you know before the fight, it's like she's like, "Oh, you know, we shouldn't say this, but it is what it is, But then during the fight, you can tell like there there's clearly some bitterness on her side of like, well, like I wanted more kids, but you know, I understand we didn't have it, but I'm really mad that we didn't
1: Well, speaking of, of the characters, I, this is you know a fairly small. Uh, cast uh, uh, in terms of, of your primary characters uh we've done a couple movies like this Micho black was like this where it's really basically a half dozen people in the film uh outside of a couple of other you know one-offs um well, mike looking back at this was was there a character that that improved the most in your eyes you know watching this again and, and maybe one that that didn't strike you as well that kind of sank the most in, in your eyes uh you know on a second watch
0: well, it, it is difficult with like the small cast, but I I would say I will say I don't know improved, but so Brisa Tomei's character um, Natalie Strout. I I think the first time I saw the movie, I was really focused a lot more on on the Fowlers and in particular the the parents, but in this movie I thought a lot a lot more about her and I I felt you know, obviously you feel bad for her to begin with, but I I felt even more bad for her watching it this time. I felt like, yeah, I I just can't believe that, you know, she's going through all this with, with the husband and yeah, maybe she shouldn't be dating this kid. I, I get that. But you just get this impression, like she's kind of at this job as a clerk. Like she, she doesn't really seem to have much of a life like beyond her kids and beyond this, this awful guy who's a part of her life. And at the end of the movie, you know, she, I, I found myself wondering like, well, what happens to her like what what's you know she was getting some kind of support from from this guy's family who apparently had money like what what's going to happen to her what's gonna happen to her kids like it, it really feel, felt terrible to me so i, I guess I was improvement but I, I thought more about her and i don't know really i thought less of anybody like i it, it's tough because all of them are going through such a a terrible situation that like is there anybody you can say like do i feel less for ruth because she should have acted differently i think that's what makes this movie real is the fact that all of them they're flawed like they're not one character's not perfect while the other one is behaving like a jerk they're both jerks at times but that's what made it real so yeah i don't think anyone slipped for me and even in hindsight
1: well, what, what were your impressions? Obviously, this was your first time uh, watching, but uh, just in terms of of the characters and, and how they were handled,
2: I, I honestly think it's brilliant. I think all of it is absolutely brilliant. I can see the motivations behind every single character. <clears throat> um, yeah, Frank is a less kind of kid who's considering taking a year off from what would appear to be a promising uh, architectural uh, postgraduate study so that he can stay near Marissa Tomei. And he wants to, you know, capture... Ca- <laughs> he's, he's willing to go out on a boat at four o'clock in the morning, to capture fucking lobsters, and, and make sure that their pincers don't snap anyone so he can be near Nurse Tomei and her kids at the same time that I, this sounds terrible but I kind of get where our asshole character is coming from where he just wants his kids back obviously he's a fucking lunatic and they would never do anything like that but his his motivations are very clear at the same time that Sissy SpaceX motivations are clear where she's like she just wants her son to go to school and do well at the same time that Tom Wilkinson's motivation, like all of the motivations are clear. This is the only two hour and 11 minute movie that earns every single second of its runtime. We get to know everyone, we understand the motivations, and it's, I really do just think it's great. And at, having never seen it before, I can't do the up down in terms of characters, but they are all, all great.
1: There was there were a few scenes that stuck out to me because of how quiet and spare they were, and how and but the, the one that, the one that really sort of uh, that that I remember is kind of right afterward, right after the the their son dies. Uh, she, she's the mother's watching television and she's watching some late night show. And it's with some yes. comedian, which of course is like the worst thing to be watching when you're just morose and, and want to grieve yes, and someone's ma- making cheap jokes and, and it's, and you don't see the television. It's facing her and sort of lighting up her face. And, right. But, but, and then, but then he, the, the husband walks in, sees her, picks up the tea kettle because she has her, her little teacup, and kind of is like, do you want some more tea? And she says, yes. Or she nods at him and he pours more tea. He sets it down and then just kind of sits down defeated. And that's the entire scene, but it's so well done. Like they're, they're both great actors and it's, you just, you, they don't have to say anything. Like th- there's a lot of, good work in terms of creating that that silent tension between them and that's sort of the first one that sets up the, the rest of them that that really sort of stood out to me is in terms of like this is a, a pretty quiet movie. Um it, it's a movie that gives its its actors a lot of space to work and uh there are not a ton of long expositional dialogues and monologues. Um I, I thought that was the strongest part were were those, were those really just you know shared glances the one one of the sons comes back on the bike to the dock and he shares the glance with with you know with tom wilkinson like uh, like yeah, there's, there's just a bunch of those
0: yeah it, yeah, it, yeah it, it's really a movie where less is more like i was even thinking about yeah the very, yeah like the very beginning of the movie um you know where like um, marissa tomei and and nick Stahl, you know frank fowler and, and natalie are in the fields and they're just there together. And I think in some movies there'd be a big makeout scene or there'd be, they, they would have put force it on you. Like these two people love each other, but instead they're just in the field. They're hanging out. Yes. They kiss, but there's, and I'm, I'm looking at the dialogue. I love it here. I know you do. I can feel my life, you know, and and it just hits you right away. Like, wow, like that, that's really powerful the way that was put together as opposed to, yeah, a lot of, a lot of movies would really hit you over the head. These two love each other. they, they, they let you feel it without doing that
1: well and 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 you know the the title i mentioned the title sort of deceptive off the top um and and there's they get into it right away in in one of the early scenes where they explain what they mean by the bedroom they're talking about these lobster traps and and the the quote is you get more than two of these in the bedroom and something like that's going to happen which is that he loses his claw And, and but there's that's very very early and in a way that the rest of the movie is much more um i guess i guess just indirect or 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 not necessarily vague but like uh certainly not this like hit you over the head with like hey this is the metaphor there was like like the rest of the movie is much much more open-ended but but they're, they're very clear early on um which i think is is when i first did it i was like okay this is I don't love this. This is, like, a, a little too literal for me. It's, like, a little too Avatar saying shock and awe. <laughs> like, it's a little, a little too just, like, right in your face. Uh, but but it was good because, like, with a title, like, in the bedroom and with, like, the opening scene being them, like, in a field, and then you see, like, horny Tom Wilkinson, like, like, trying to, like, like get some. And, like, it's, like, his opening scene. Like, it's very horny to start. And then it very quickly changes pace. I, I And... Th- and Sorry. Yeah, well, no. I, I was I, I, I always take my notes. I think of like good episode titles. Like ten minutes in, I was like, "Horny on Maine." Am Is that gonna be? That's and I was, perfect. Like,
2: no. But yeah. I was like, "Oh no, this is not that movie." But I think if they had if they had waited to explain that, then it would not have. It would it wouldn't work as well, because the way that they explain it, as early as they explain it, is very utilitarian. So you're no longer you're just like oh okay so that's generally like what the title means and we'll just leave the rest for for you to determine later. It I I, I agree with you and I kind of disagree with you at the same time. Where I think like you have to do it in this utilitarian fisherman sort of sort of industrial way.
1: Yeah, I mean I, I don't I don't hate that it it's it, it was just it seemed it seemed a little too literal uh, like at the time but but i appreciated it more that it that it set that boundary that it changed the tone of of the film to be like this is not a love story because this is this is gonna end poorly you know let's get into to some of this other stuff. Uh, my, Mike, I, you're a baseball writer. I'm a baseball writer. Uh, I think we have to talk about the baseball because there is baseball in this movie. There's more baseball than I expected there to be in this movie. Um, yeah. And that's, that's, we have not had that opportunity to talk about base, baseball in one of our movies really yet, uh, which is exciting. Um, it, it was funny to me to think about just like li- listening to the Red Sox in Maine in like 2000 was a much different experience than it is now, you know, Uh, like like (laughs) you're you're talking about these like perennial losers. Like it's, it's like almost this like defeatist exercise in terms of like, like now you wouldn't think the the same way about them, like constantly like finding an escape.
0: I mean, they they were on their way up. Like I'm I'm looking, they they won 85 games that year, and I I, I think you know I I have Baseball Reference up. I'd have to go look at the franchise encyclopedia. The Yankees were still the the dominant team that was right in the middle of, of all their World Series. But yeah, the the Sox were. Yeah, I, I see you making the the sign there, William. Um, the the Sox were, you know, on their way up. But you're right; it was before you know they won their World Series, and you know it it is kind of funny. Yeah, they had Pedro, but but you look at the lineup and. Yeah, they had Jeff Fry, you know Brian Dawback, you know Morgan Burkhart, Ed Sprague. They they weren't quite there yet.
1: Right. Well, uh, I I did go back to to find you you hear the uh, the actual game when he tells when he's driving out with with uh, the ex husband to uh, eventually murder him. Uh, you, you you he turns on he tells him to turn on the game. He says well it's one in the morning. and He says well they, they replay the game and the game comes on and and the announcers are talking about the last. Red Sox hitter to, to hit three home runs in a game, and they, they're talking about uh, Wally Joyner and Andres Galarraga, and between all of that, I was able to triangulate that this game was a—and they, they mentioned it's the Braves—7-2 after 6, which was the final score. Uh, the Red Sox beat the Braves at Fenway on uh, July 9th of 2000
0: yeah i found it too yep tim
1: wakefield beat kevin millwood uh nomar garciaparra had homered twice hence the reference to the last Mm -hmm. red sox hitter to homer three times um and that also allows me to fulfill uh, my self-indulgence on the podcast of Gaucho Watch, where I try to find somebody from my alma mater at the University of California, Santa Barbara, that is in some way related to this game, or related to the movie. And in this case, this is the last game before the All-Star break. Shortly after the All-Star break, the Red Sox traveled to Oakland to face a rookie left-handed pitcher making his second career MLB start uh, by the name of Barry Zito. Garicito attended UC Santa Barbara his freshman year, thereby fulfilling Gacha Watch for episode 10. Um, there is more baseball connections in this. Do you know what the other baseball connections are, Mike?
0: Well, there's another game that, um, I don't know if this is what you're going for, but earlier in there, there's another game while he's driving. Now, this is, a, I know this is, I'm, I'm jumping ahead to a different you know part of, of your, your podcasters. I've, I've listened to it. The other game is from the day before. So, it's a little inconsistent because that the first game he's listening to, I don't know. It's, it's hard to tell time. It's not like there's a calendar on the wall and, and days, but it's clearly a couple months before and it's July 8th. And I did the same thing. you did I did the detective work and, you know, I, I found the game and, you know, I was very happy about that. And at the end, you know, I'm like, well, wait a minute. Like why are they still playing the Braves? And some of the reason for that. So 20 years ago, there were 16 teams in the National League and 14 teams in the American League, and interleague play was all scrunched together in I think two or three segments of the year, and then at the end of the year you didn't have an interleague play. With 15 and 15, you always have to have a, at least one interleague game, and there's usually two or three. So I, with the segment, I'm like, wait a minute, like why would they still be playing the Braves? And you know, it was one of those things like for a movie that didn't really make a lot of mistakes. It was if you're a baseball fan, you'll notice it. If you're not, you probably be like, okay, well. Like, whatever. Like, it's. They're playing the Braves again.
1: Well, yeah, there was continuity error there in terms of the she met the wife mentions sissy Spacek mentions that the concert is they're getting ready for labor day they, had, they right. have to have the concert and so like i was expecting this game to be a september game and then i was like oh no it is not i don't know that we're supposed to know that an entire year has passed or that they probably just found a red sox game with some interesting commentary and they, in.
0: they probably what they probably did is they probably were like listening to blocks of red sox games and they just took a block and decided to use that as opposed to pouring over it and going well we have to have a game from september and we have to have a game from june or july
1: well we can get into more of the continuity errors or or or, uh you know goofs that that we saw but there is another baseball tie to this
0: movie which that i might have have missed that then (laughs) this movie is directed by todd field
1: todd field was a bat boy for the Portland Mavericks and is featured heavily in the battered bastards of baseball documentary because I of his time as a bat not, boy.
0: I did not know that. So I, I did do some research on Todd field. Cause I was curious about him and I was super impressed because like, he's mostly an actor, but like in terms of his volume of work, but as a director, he's like pretty much two for two. Like he you know, did this movie, Um, Which was his first major. I mean, he directed some TV shows and whatnot, but this is his first major effort, and, you know, it got all these nominations. And then his second effort was Little Children, which is another Oscar nominated movie. And he has something in the works, like a third movie he's going to direct, and I don't remember what it's called. It's a period piece. I'm going to see it because, you know, good on you, Todd Field. Like, you're, when you do decide to, to direct, you're really good.
1: Well, it's, I just thought it was hilarious. I only, I saw that documentary just in the last year during, during, the quarantine and everything and i like but it makes sense all these baseball ties you know like like all these all these little things about the the kids playing little league and and we see the sort of you know the ex-husband's holding on to the past by bringing over his his old trophy to to give to him like like there's there are these there are these uh these sort of you know things that like a baseball person understands See, you see know? now
0: the, the other side of this I, I had i not scanned over this is wikipedia bio um i didn't realize that he and and the pitching coach are the ones who developed big league chew um i know about big league chew from reading ball four and yeah and, and jim baton right? yep, talked about marketing it but i i didn't realize that that connection so yeah that that's that's wild
1: yeah so anyway i this ended up I, we neither of us knew this going in and we're both baseball guys and just kismet that it that it worked out that way. Yeah. That there happened to be this pretty deep baseball tie through this film. Um all right, we were talking about potholes, continuity errors, uh stuff like that. Um any anything really kind of pop out uh to you other than, than the uh Red Sox games not really making sense chronologically?
0: No, not not really. And you mentioned you mentioned the Labor Day thing too, you know, that that tied into that a little bit. I felt the movie had a a weird sense of time, but I think that was deliberate. Like it was sort of the idea that they were mourning. Like, I don't think that was a mistake and, and there were little continuity things like there were, there were things sometimes with food, um, characters smoke and almost any movie where a character smokes, you're going to have you know let's say film it straight through on one take you're gonna have times where like the cigarette is not quite in the right place i i i used to smoke so i i you know just noticed this even though i haven't been in a long time um so yeah don't I don't so yell sad. me for that um and then during the big fight the clock is wrong like when when they're having the big fight the clock jumps back and forth a couple times i didn't really notice anything big though like maybe you did but i i I thought it was pretty tight as far as that went.
1: Well, what about you?
2: Uh, generally speaking, yeah, it does a very, very good job of maintaining uh, the the intricacies. But uh, I guess to Mike's point, yeah, it it makes sense. I guess that uh, time moves slower because uh, it's it's supposed to be it's it's a main it's a town off the coast of Maine or on the coast of Maine rather, and they just don't move at the same pace that we do. So to me that. Made sense. Um, one of the things I did notice was when Frank is like, and the only reason I noticed it is because they made such a big deal of it. Frank is like trying to cut or cut his pencil down, and he's using a uh, just like your basic regular ass pocket knife. But then, in literally the next cut, when Sissy Spacek comes down to make a sandwich, he's using a mechanical pencil. It's like, why, come on, if you're going to make such a big deal of him, like, shaving down his own pencil to do architectural drawings, like, at least show us some of that?
1: Yeah, I wonder, I mean, you, you could be charitable and say, oh, that was a metaphor for him, like, giving up his, you know,
2: or, or whatever, I don't um, know. Cu- I, I'm probably not my dick to fuck Marissa Tomei, okay, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't know where to go from there from a metaphor perspective.
0: Yeah, I, I, I wonder, like, if there's stuff like if you, you know, if you've been a fisherman or caught lobster, maybe somebody who's done that might have seen something and said, "Oh, that's not quite right." But since I have no expertise in that, I, I wouldn't know. Uh,
2: so yeah, I, I, he does have a strange method of measuring lobsters. So all the, the, the actual, like, factually, they're correct in terms of the lobsters they hunt, but. When he starts pulling out the measuring tape, it's it's a little bit off. Like he, they presume, it sets it up like he automatically knows it. Like, okay, it's too short, it's too short. But then he has to measure one that he's not quite sure is too short. And that doesn't usually happen. Because when I have gone out on boats, it's like they think it might be too long. Not too short. It's I, easier to know when it's too short than it is too long.
1: You you also mentioned something before we started about uh, like an ant in the in the open that you weren't sure if that was intentional or not.
2: Yeah, so when tall is laying with Marcy Tomei in the field, uh, there is an ant holding a I think it's a seed in its maw, but it looks natural, and I was totally unsure if that was something they did intentionally, or if it was an accident. And if it was unintentionally, that would sort of be a brilliant metaphor for what this is, which is like a failed planting, basically. Or a mm-hmm. failed seedling.
1: Huh. Hard to say. <laughs>
2: yeah, it's, it's only there for like four or five seconds, but it's really there. And then he looks at it and kind of laughs. So, I'm leaning toward intentional? But, I don't know.
1: Um, all right, let's, uh, let's talk about, well, I was going to say Maine seemed a little warm for me, just like, I know it's supposed to be sort of in the spring and summer, but like Maine gets very cold, it stays cold and then it gets cold. And it, it, I was, I it was, it seemed like almost a missed opportunity to like, you're in a place that's like the most seasonally, you know, variant place in America, probably yes, like why, great. Why not show this descent into winter like they, yeah, they they're having a rainstorm at the end, but like they're not really wrapped up it's and he's he comes back and he's like stripped down out of the clothes he's just wandering around his house in his underwear and seems plenty warm, all things considered it just it it felt a little off in terms of 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 the timing of everything, knowing it's supposed to be into the fall at this point
0: yeah um, i I wasn't really sure of the the timing i I guess like at the very end like in, and again that's where i like so you have the Labor Day concert that we've talked about you know and and then we know you know the climax happens at the end i, I wasn't sure how much time had passed between that labor day concert and, and the climax um i guess the one thing about that is that i, I didn't think it was that long because there was a baseball game on and if you accept that it wasn't on july 9th and didn't go back in time i thought it was still september so i thought well it might be cold and it is Maine but i didn't think it was like november because you know th- at that point the season's over so i didn't think much of that sure sure
1: um all right, let's. Uh, this is this is a twenty-year-old movie at this point. This came out in two thousand one. So, what what are some of the the things that really stuck out? You mentioned uh, the the bunny ears earlier, Will, but I what what were the sort of of the of the time and, and era things that really sort of popped out that that very clearly put this movie in 2000, 2001?
2: I think it has more to do, and I admittedly I don't know what main a small town in maine looks like exactly these days i did uh when i was in college in 2001 date a woman whose family lived in northern maine and this looked roughly like what i saw where you you would go to a small corner store and you'd get a brown bag of groceries so that didn't strike me as terribly odd but it was certainly at the time um The thing that annoyed me the most was the price of cigarettes and Sissy's SpaceX Switching between Marlboro Reds and Marlboro Lights, like, pick one, please, for God's sake. But other than the TVs and the idea of a small-town doctor, which, frankly, probably still exists, especially for a community like that, I think it's 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 roughly timeless. This movie really does work. I I, I know I've m- complained about a bunch of stuff, but this movie really does work. It is really a brilliant sort of character study in terms of like how do your parents deal with grief when they don't feel as though the justice system has
0: worked. There's so so there's a couple things like I I do agree with that by the way, and I I, I do agree will that the small town. All a little bit worse to the advantage because, like, if a movie takes place in a big city where things are always moving. You'd be like, hey, you know, this is New York City and it's 2000. You know, look at how different it is. And, you know, it, it's so much more commercialized or, or whatever. But because it's a small town, you're right. Like, it, it there's not a lot in the town itself. And I haven't been to New England in, like, 15 years, so I don't know. But I'm just guessing, like, every time I've been to New England, yeah, it more or less looks the same, especially in the small towns. And that's true almost anywhere you go, it's a small town. Like, things don't really move as much. I always have the thing with movies that are, like, of this age or maybe a little older – like kind of the what if they had a cell phone? That that's always my my sort of test of a yeah. movie. And if you go back 25 years, I always think of the movie Reality Bites. I always joke that that movie is the quintessential. The moment that movie like ended, things changed between like with the internet, where you could have like looked things up or done things that you know they weren't able to do. And you're like, wait, what? It's like, oh yeah, no internet, or at least no internet as we know it. In this movie, it's a cell phone thing where it's like, well, I, I do wonder, you know, if in in the scene where Frank, you know dies if there had been a cell phone available if you know um Risa Tomei or, or natalie calls the police or you know does something you know even to record it even like where even she can't get to the police in time there's a recording and the recording i don't know the one party two party rules in each state i think it means a well, one the, party. The,
2: well no the entire thing changes because in, right in 2021 there's a ring an amazon connected ring in the
0: back window where well there well there you go yeah Rick, you've got Rick the the punches in with a gun and there you go right right so, so the technology it. could have saved him but even if it didn't save him you know richard is probably guilty like that that's right. he, gets, he doesn't he doesn't, he doesn't get he doesn't get five to fifteen for a misdemeanor it changes uh, things so it like changes that. things a lot and then yes you know sure the parents are still angry but like well he's going to jail for life or you know it's not gonna be paroled until you know we're really old and whatever we're we're satisfied and then at the end too again the cell phone thing a little more difficult but you wonder if richard has a cell phone when matt was you know had the gun on him and you know all, all that stuff if there was some way for him to kind of silently in his pocket you know, especially in you know to, to kind of silently like dial 911 and and maybe get help those are probably the two instances I well
1: thought. and just they triangulate they probably triangulate the pings even if like even if he died like it would it would make it a lot harder for them to get away with it because there's all, all this technology that's you know that shows where, where you've been because it's tracking you right. um but there were there were actually a couple of of specific phone references uh that, that were highly of of the time which uh when he is sitting in her kitchen when the ex is sitting in her kitchen when she she comes home uh he says oh i just got your message as in like
2: oh yeah yeah,
1: and and and, and, and then and then when um when frank picks up he's talking he's on on an interview with an architecture school or whatever and then he gets a call waiting (laughs) and pops over to find out that that the the ex-husband is is you know basically attacking and and, he's gonna
2: get shot in the head
1: Right, but he literally, he literally, like, pops, he hit Because I remember him g- going, oh, hold on a second. I was like, is he going to hit the call waiting button? Yes, he is. <laughs> this is extremely of, like, high school, you know, uh, memories uh, coming back.
0: Well, and, and even though, you know, it's... The, the, the internet certainly existed in 2000. In some ways, it's a pre-internet movie in, from, in the sense that you never really see anybody on a computer. You never really see anybody online. Like, they're all just watching TV. Like, like now... You wouldn't really see that so much unless it was a plot contrivance. Like we're we're so much more wedded to our computers than we are our, our television sets.
1: Yeah, well, and the cars are are very you know of the era, but they also seem contemporary enough. the The fashion is mostly contemporary. Although the the one thing that that stuck out to me that I just have this note in in my in my notes where I was like, what is it with Frank's ridiculous patched jeans? Like what what is they supposed to be showing him being some sort of an artist? Is that like I assume it was
2: like a kitsch thing.
1: Like this, it, it, it you know. felt it just felt like i mean maybe this is like a leftover grunge
2: like or you know that sort of what, like area it, it, it looked it, to me like he was continuously patching them
0: right like, but it, like which, that which would reflect on the like sort of like, well or, or, yeah if, if there was if, if anything like, I, I, I think time. you see this in movies like this like they're trying to establish he's like a young guy and It almost fails at that, but it's such a minor failing in a movie that, otherwise, you know, as as we pointed out, is like so tight otherwise that you're like, oh, whatever.
2: What I did find interesting was the Dr. Dad drives a, I think it's a Saab 900 with the license plate that says Vet on it, but they don't show you that the Dr. Dad was a vet the entire time.
1: I mean, I I almost wonder if, if they do that intentionally to like his do you see him down in his basement in his buddy's basement right and he's right. like looking through like old war photos yeah. and like it's like oh these are two veterans that set up what what i thought was was maybe the best scene of the whole movie which uh because of the way that, that they handle it where they're they're talking and he's finally kind of opening up to his buddy who's been trying to like find a way to get through to him and, and console him you know throughout the, the film and and he says quote well, did you ever think of moving away? And you're like, you're like, oh, did you you think he's gonna say, would well, you ever think of just killing this guy? And then he says moving away, but then they plot to kill him. Like it's a, it's a really good yeah. like yeah. you. You feel like he's gonna say that, and then he doesn't, and then they do, and it, it just—it's this, it's this like sucker punch uh, that I think works really effectively.
0: So yeah, I, I think the vet thing is again this. This is an homage to, to the short story killings that this is based on, where that's established a lot more in the story. It, it's talked about more. Um, so I, I think they put it there almost for people who read the story are familiar with the the cons- construction of it. to, to show you that, yeah, this is still something that's part of it, but we're not going to, you know, dive into it and and give you a lot of, um, detail. Interestingly that the story starts out at the funeral and then it's flashbacks. So, you know, I thought it was interesting in the movie that the movie's linear, you know, the movie goes from, you know, start to finish there, there aren't flashbacks. It's just, it's just a straightforward story. And, And I, I was intrigued that, you know, the, the, Short story. This is based on starts at the funeral. There's a flashback. You know, it moves forward. It flashes back one more time, and then it's back in the present.
2: That, that, that makes it even more fascinating to me. I mean, it it really does. And so I, I I do think that my earlier statement of this is the this is the anti death wish where we don't it's not Charlie Bronson like picking up increasingly ridiculous <laughs> weapons to murder. <laughs> gang members um that makes it so much more satisfying i uh, this conversation is literally increasing my appreciation of the subtleties of this film
1: well and i I could definitely see why that would work better in terms of the format for the short story like a short story you have to you have to something has to happen right off the top you like you're not gonna do this long slow sort of build like you, you like okay we're we're at the funeral of this you know of yeah. this this these folks kid like this is now the central conflict like it this this film introduces that differently it sort of hints at it and then we get there eventually but i i can see why that works better in a feature film and why why the well, other format you know is better for a short story
0: yeah in a two hour ten minute movie you you have time to care and you know start caring more and more but you're right no, in, in, in and in a short story right away you need to care like if you don't care on the first page or two you're not going to care usually
1: This is always my weak point because i i just i don't know if this is from working in radio for for the time that i that i did like music radio but like i i mean i i didn't notice much of the soundtrack what what's what stood out to you guys in terms of 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 the the sound you know, the music in the in the movie uh i noticed a couple of scenes but it seemed pretty spare
2: it's not there there is no there is no soundtrack and i think that's deliberate you you live in this silence you live in the Lack of any kind of emotive or comforting music. That, that, that there's no way that that's not deliberate. You're just with the characters.
0: Yeah. So so the soundtrack is it's all instrumental. The only time you hear any non like classical type music is in the car at the end when there's like you know a, a rock song playing before he puts on the the baseball game we were talking about. Um, but I, I do. There's so Sissy Spacek. You know, she, she's a music teacher, and she's preparing a choir to sing at the Labor Day concert. So th- this, you know, Will, I'm kind of glad you didn't come upon this in in your research because I, I think this is gonna like blow everybody's mind. So so there's two. I think it's Balkan Balkans, folk songs. Yeah, yep. yeah. And I, I went and looked at, at the lyrics and and the translations. And like they're they're completely symbolic. Um, there's there's any me mamo, um, and I'm actually looking for the the translation for that one. I'm, I'm going to work backwards though. There's there's a second song, which is a up oh, there you go. You have it in your notes. I'm I'm looking on the screen. Um, there there's a second song though. Um, which is it's a it's a Croatian song. It's Oj Savisa. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Um, but the lyrics are that water's cold. Take me back and forth there and here. There, my village is beloved. The village is lovable, and in the village, the most beautiful girl, the most beautiful girl. So it's a song about love.
2: Oh God, that makes a horror! And, I just got chills.
0: And it's it's this whole idea though, like it, it's you know it, it's it's in the background. It's it's another language. You don't really hear it, but obviously like like you said well you get chills because when, when you go and look at that like that's that's really what that is and then the other the other song um is even more blunt and, and this is the song that they they sing as the um they sing at the labor day concert um zenny zenny me mamo translates into marry me mom and what the song is about and unfortunately i can't find the lyrics right now it's essentially the son you know saying i I love you mom you know you are the greatest in my life but you know i've i've met somebody you know i've I've fallen in love i'm leaving you know i'm I'm going to go you know off into the world it sounds like forgive me yeah and and it's just really again you're talking about the brilliance of this movie it's just brilliant that you have these two songs that are not in english but if you look at the translations, like they both weave into the fabric of the movie, like like perfectly. And and the idea of you know a child who's you know about to go into manhood and and depart into the world, and you know because of this tragedy and this ghastly murder, you know just won't get to do it.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't know any of those those details, which obviously are. Highly intentional and crafted, and and but they they do sort of complete this parallel theme, which I, th- I thought was probably the intent, and this definitely solidifies. You know, we have the lobster sort of theme for for Tom Wilkinson's character for the dad, and, and 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 it's introduced very early on this his sort of relation to to you know this this work and him right. him mean,
2: it, it, the lobster the first lobster they see loses an arm in
1: the, right well right well, but also also him, like, not him not wanting Tom Wilkinson, not following his father, you know, like they, they set up that whole sort of multi-generational, you know, ma- men and family conflict. And and as soon as the the music kind of started, up, I was like, this feels like a, like a parallel, like the parallel for the mom. Like this feels like, like the, like the lobster fishing for the mom. This is some sort of a metaphor for, for, for like the family relations. I, I didn't know the details, but it makes perfect sense.
0: Yeah. I so I, I, I found the lyrics to that, the song at the concert, it's let me marry mother, let me marry you know, let me marry, sweet mother. Why I'm still a young man. I'm not going to read the whole the whole song, but the last is, let me marry, mother. Let me marry, let me marry, sweet mother, a beautiful girl for you and my father. That will be a great joy. That's that's the beginning and end of of the of this uh, folk song. So yeah, it just blew my mind. You know, like in researching this for the podcast, I didn't come upon this 20 years ago. You know, the first time I saw it, like, just like, wow. Like, it's just incredible, the level of, of detail and care. You, know, you keep bringing up Death Wish. You know, Death Wish is not a movie with a level of care and concern for, for the viewer. It's, it's, you know, boom, 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 you know, hitting you over the head with, we're going to kill some bad guys. Like, this, this is, you know, not that.
2: Right. Right.
1: So, I this is, obviously, this film ends right after the second murder and, and we see sort of the, the last little bit of fallout with, with the parents. But I, I always think it's interesting uh, to ask this, this question. It's been 20 years since this film came out. What do we think has happened in, you know, to these characters into the world in, in this intervening time up to present day? Do we, do we think that they got away with this? Do, do we think that they feel like they got away with it? Is this, did this fix anything? What, what what's, what's happened to, to everybody in this world?
0: Well, I, I, mean, I, I think they. My guess is they get away with it, um, you know, j- just because it's certainly not foolproof. But you know, they they established that um, Willis has this big plot of land, and you know, all this space. Um, also, a large family, so I imagine you know it's not like he's going to just lose it and it's going to be developed or he's going to bequeath it to anybody. Um, so if they ever do to, to find the body there, it'll it'll be well past 20 years, I would guess. Um, I I suspect that Matt and Ruth, even if they stay married, there's some misery still, and a lack of resolution. And I don't think this solves things for them. Like, I think they're still unhappy. And, you know, even if they continue to, like, go about their lives, like, I think losing their son was just too much for them. And then... You know, I, I mentioned you know Marissa Tomei's character before. I I feel like Natalie is just probably going to be a complete mess about this. Like even even if the Strouts continue to to support her because of her kids and their grandkids, it just doesn't seem to me like she's ever really going to ha- have a happy life. And and maybe I'm just being too negative. I know people are resilient, but it, it, this is just such a dark like ending for for everybody.
2: Well, what do you got? I yeah, I agree. I think it's dark. I don't see. I don't see any anybody coming out of this happy. I, I think that I, I really did appreciate the brutality between Matt and Ruth's argument. And I definitely appreciated the what appeared to be a common ground that they reached toward the end of that. At the same time that I was fine with them just sort of jumping like, in terms of their relationship, jumping over that, that last 25-ish minutes where Matt does all the crazy shit. And he comes home, and she's like, did you do it?
0: I was just going to ask, is I know this is an aside, but is it worth explaining to, I, I guess, the listeners of this podcast, like, how he actually commits the deed? Because... Like, it's kind of dark. Like, I, I mean, it, it's premeditated. It's not like he just runs into, you know, Richard and, and is like, you know, I'm going to get you. Like, it's premeditated, but it's also pretty, it, pretty it, dark the way it, he does it.
2: Well, it struck me as excruciatingly smart because he's a doctor. So, of course, he gets a lot of that stuff. But.
1: It, it's, it's smart, but then, like, he makes emotional mistakes that, that, <clears throat> that leave a lot of problems, that leave a lot of loose ends. I mean, like, like the, so the fact there that— are,
2: There are definitely times where gloves are not worn.
1: Well, and he kills him in the wrong place and that is this chain of events that makes them late to come back across the bridge which means that the bridge operator sees them now there's a witness that wasn't supposed to be there and he, like I mean, he comes up to him right after this girl's just shot him down at the bar like, you have someone who puts him at the bar at closing who, and he was clearly like didn't seem like he was trying to leave town like, seemed like he was trying to hook up that night Okay,
2: and so this this might be like a you reading versus me reading where I saw that look that the uh bridge operator was giving him was like i know you did but i kind of understand maybe i mean like 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 an american
0: gothic kind of i mean you know the the thing about it like whether he's he's attached to the crime or not like he is an obvious suspect right because you know if if the police are going to come start asking questions or looking for motive he and his wife like have well outside of, of natalie like they have the motive. Like they're they're the ones who clearly would would want him gone and you know all that.
1: And he had had the conversation at the bar, asking that guy like
2: right. about all this. I mean, like, my ears he, open. He,
1: he set up a bu- like a bunch of bad like I maybe the, the prosecutors are so incompetent that he gets I, away with it well, anyway or, may, or maybe that the community is just like
0: yeah we're not gonna, i think it's you know. yeah i i get the feeling it's more the community thing like i have a feeling it's a small town thing and this idea that it's not just um you know willis and, and matt i think that a lot of the people in town might be like yeah and you know even um if the strouts you know with their power and influence or money or whatever are like we're gonna pursue this the town might be like yeah you know what maybe, maybe you should just let this one go
2: yeah, the impression I got was that, and I, again, it's there. there was a, a uh, I don't want to call it a theme, but the way they shot some of this stuff. So when they're when they're dragging uh, Dick's body out into the into the field, it's bathed in red, right? And then they do a burial scene, and then we get another red light at the crossing, with the with the guard staring at uh, our hero. And I was just like, mm, okay, this is like a this is like a small town, like yeah, fuck that guy kind of thing.
1: Yeah, certainly plausible. Um, I it, it ends at the right place for it because it's it's not about what happens next. Obviously, it's about it's about them just living in, in that moment and and not seeing, not being happy for for what they've what they've done necessarily. Uh, uh, sort of having that reckoning. I don't know if you've seen the. There's a French film, uh, La jete that Twelve Monkeys was basically based on, um, and there's a there's a scene at the end where, where we see Tom Wilkinson, and you see his eyes kind of – they do these sort of overlapping shots, and it was like straight out of this film, which is a – it everything is, is still shots in the film, other than the French film, and then – there's this scene where someone's lying down and you see in in action lifetime the eye open and it's like this shocking moment of this this very old old film and it 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 just looked it looked exactly like that i mean it felt like it felt like the director knew and like was was almost making a a call to to this to this film um and i just it was the first thing that that i thought of when i saw that
2: damn yeah no i didn't know that there I
1: mean, there were a lot of good little stylized pieces. That at the funeral, everything was reflected through glass or distorted through glass, like I, to give it this fog. Like, there were there were very clearly set, you know, camera shots to try to lend mood, uh, especially in the quiet spaces that uh, that you know were, were for the most part like not distracting, but were were effective uh, additions. Um, which I guess kind of takes us to the finish line here. Let's let's wrap this sucker. Uh, we ha- we must ask the all important question: the reason, the, the raison d'être for the podcast. Mike, do you still like this movie?
0: Yeah, I, I I I like it. It it holds up. You know, as I I think we've been talking about throughout. Like it's it's kind of timeless. Um, and you know, I I will say like as good as it is, like it it's not necessarily an all-time great like it's not a movie that i'll I'll be like oh you know gosh i love it or you know it's one of my favorites but it's it's a really good movie like it's really good front to back you know it's it just draws you in and you know you you just wind up completely like brought into to this world so yeah i i I still like it i still think it's a it's a really good film you know not one of my all-time favorites i think in part because it's such a, a dark you know movie and you know not a happy movie going to put on with the family and be like hey let's let's all watch this on our our saturday movie night but it it's it really holds up it's it's a really good film
1: yeah sorry you just reminded me of uh when i was like 23 and i was living with some friends after college it was this really strange collection of friends that i knew growing up and then a friend from college and he was just he was this bizarre kid and he had no sense of like what was socially appropriate. I just remember he had a, a girl uh, over on like a date at like our house, and he was like, "Oh, well, like throw on like a movie that, that we can all watch," and he pulled out "As Good as It Gets."
0: <laughs> huh.
1: <laughs> Which is just like absolutely not the movie that, that you that, want to like you know yeah. have the it's like a very sad and very like dark you know there are comedic no, moments but it is it is a neurotic I, you know it's a movie about obsessive compulsive disorder and like yeah. it's it's. It, anyway, i just I can imagine he would he he would oh, this was a good movie. I'll put this on and put on put on in the bedroom and and just instantly kill the movie
0: that that reminds me of like i I was at a a karaoke bar in Philadelphia and it was the most extensive like playlist I've ever seen, like it was a Japanese karaoke bar, which is probably why, and one of the songs on the playlist was John Lennon's mother, and I was thinking to myself, <laughs> you know john let his mother that's a great song Mm. like i I love that album but i can't imagine going to a karaoke bar and be like you know what i'm gonna sing this for people and i'm gonna you know like make this a fun song it's like yeah no yeah just just sing brick
1: by ben folds five at that point you know (laughs) (laughs) i I think somebody had actually asked what's the worst karaoke song on twitter and i responded with that (laughs) which i believe to be accurate um anyway um uh, will I? We didn't. We didn't get your final
2: takeaway. I was really, 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 really pleasantly surprised by this movie. I think it's brilliant. Uh, all of the acting, except this is going to sound like a downturn, but Nick Stahl was fine. He was fine. Yeah, he did his job, right? I mean, his job. Uh, But otherwise, all the acting is like Shepkiss.
0: Well, it well as you pointed out like you know 38 minutes in or whatever he's that's it he's fucking there's dead, no, so there's no flashback so it's not like you really needed you know nick Stahl to deliver this like high level performance like yeah, it's was, it's welcome he- Wilkinson and Space that carry the film, and and yeah, they they deserve their Oscar nominations. Like I'm, I'm not one to get into like who should or shouldn't win, but they 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 deserve their nominations for sure.
1: Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, the, act, the the acting great, and the, and the and the direction is is good. I mean, there's it's it's a it's a well shot and and um a well set film. I mean, you you feel like you're you're a part of of that world pretty quickly, and and it, you know you stay there. Um, I
2: think it, at least for this podcast, this is. Probably the best film we've watched to discuss.
1: Yeah, it's probably the the the, the most sort of complete, uh, like good film. Like it's like you said, it's it maybe doesn't have the rewatchability of some other stuff because you're probably not going to watch it more than like once every twenty years. But, it's, yeah. but, but well, but it's it's good for that.
0: Well, it was funny Noah because when I saw this on on Twitter and you know when I expressed interest in this, that was the thing. Like you know your rules are like what? No bombs, like no classics. And you know, I was trying to find something that I really liked and you're absolutely right. Like, it's a movie that I saw and I was never like, oh, I have to see that again and again. It was more like, well, that was really good, but I, I don't know if I'll ever see it again because like, you're right. It's such a heavy, like dark film and I, I just didn't, you know, really see the need. So this is great to revisit it and kind of remember like, oh, this is why I liked it. Like it, and I think it's the purpose of your podcast. Like it, it reminded me of why I liked it so much. It just viscerally draws you in but you don't necessarily need to see it over and over again. And for some movies, that's, that's fine. Like that's what yeah. the movie going experience is. It's like just being drawn in, like really enjoying what you're watching, but not feeling like, like something like say the big Lebowski, like, Oh, I have to see it over and over again. Cause each time I get more and more out of it. Like I didn't get more out of it this time. It just, I got the same thing out of it, but it was really good.
1: Well, that seems like a good note to wrap this up, Mike. Uh, what, what, where can people find your work? What would you like to to plug uh, uh, to let the people at home know what you're what you're working on?
0: Well, I, I write at Baseball Prospectus, which is baseballprospectus.com. You can you know check me out over there. Uh, my Twitter is Mike Gianella, G I A N E L L A, just like my name, all one word, no underscore. Um, those are just the two places you you can find me. My my podcast, which is a fantasy baseball podcast, I know for some of your listeners that's a yawn, uh, is Flags Fly Forever.
1: I mean, you never know. You never know who's listening. Uh, so uh, thanks uh, again for joining us. Make sure you are following online uh, on our social media accounts on Twitter and on Instagram at like this movie. If you'd like to take part in the conversation, use the hashtag itiltm. That's hashtag itiltm, and we'll see you next time. I Think I Like This Movie is created by Noah Frank and hosted by Noah Frank and Will Vitka. Editing by Will Vitka. All music on the show, unless otherwise noted, provided courtesy of the South County All-Stars. Copyright 2021.